Before we dive into today's episode, we just wanted to give you a quick warning that this is a birth story and quite a traumatic one. There are mentions of infertility and miscarriage, hyperemesis, amongst other traumas. So if any of those things are possibly triggering to you, we suggest either skipping this one or listening with caution. And as always, please seek help if you need it and always feel free to reach out to us for a chat. I think my name is John. Right. I mean, yes, look, I was being a little bit dramatic. So what are we doing tonight, Bex? Well, we talk a lot about T and L, and we talk a lot about the situation, and we talk a lot about other things we've been through. So I thought we could talk about our youngest child, who is quite the story in and of himself. Not that he knows that yet. Although he kind of acts like he knows that in some ways, but I feel like all babies act like that. Maybe they know they have their own like inherent sense of self-importance. Well, yeah. I'm important, and I'm gonna get you to give me what I want, no matter what you want. Maybe, well, maybe I don't know. I like to think he knows. <laughs> so where does the story start? Well. When a mummy and daddy love each other. I've got to stop making that joke at some point. Um, I mean, to an extent, it starts a really long time ago for me. Mm-hmm. Um, where I had different things wrong from a fairly young age with my female bodily system. <laughs> Your reproductive organs? Yep, that's the one. I don't know how, how far do we want to go with what we say on here. Um, obviously I've been married before, um, right. and so during that marriage we tried to have a baby, thank god we didn't, <laughs> <laughs> um, but tried to have a baby and had no luck, which, you know, kind of went, okay, maybe, maybe something's not quite right with my body, but I don't know. After that was over, I got an ultrasound done for something else entirely. And they realized that I had what's called a septated uterus. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when you see that on an ultrasound, it tells you almost nothing because they can't tell you like how septated it is. And pending how septated it is, pens pregnancy outcome, likelihood right. and all of that kind of stuff. Right. So I had kind of mentally started to live with, okay, might not have kids, especially the way that I. Like I might not just be able to get pregnant and carry them and that's that. Yeah. And then I met you and you already had kids. So Um, you just didn't need to have kids anymore. Well, no. I mean, I still wanted kids, but I mean, the timing, (laughs) the timing of kids was up in the air because your kids were very little. Uh (laughs) So, you know, and that was just a whole new situation. And also, I remember no one jumps into a relationship and goes, let's have a baby like straight away. You're like, oh, no, thank you. I, I mean, I remember, I think, some conversations where we did talk about it. But, you know, my kids are so young. Do we really want to have three under three? That's a really big loop to jump through constantly, all the time. Right. 
and we kind of gone, well, maybe we should just make that a, like a two years down the track conversation. Right. So I think you, we you know, we'd kind of said maybe we'll wait a couple of years and like, right. We'll just wait until like your boys are a bit older and obviously like everything's a bit more settled. Settled. And I mean, we were having that conversation very, very early because A, I think we were pretty sure of our relationship, but B, it was just like, okay, well, even if like this does get more serious, we just, our timeline for kids is, is not now. Yeah. And then probably like, what, two, three months into dating, I was just off, but I'd like lost my job around that time. Like a bunch of stuff had happened that was just like, oh, well, maybe it's just that, you know, like maybe I'm just tired and just struggling with that and like. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff, right? And then my period was a little bit late and, like, didn't really think anything of it because it's normal for me that it's a little bit late. Yeah. Um, But then when I did get it, it was just different and a little bit horrendous. And I just wasn't okay. Um, And I just remember, like, at one point, like, I was like, I just, I feel empty. And I was like, I don't remember, like, feeling full before now, if that makes sense. But, like, it just felt funny. And I kind of put two and two together to realise that I was, like, most likely miscarrying. And so we just, I guess we got pregnant (laughs) really early, really accidentally. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. it was just... And even when I spoke to the doctor, you know, the tests weren't able to be done to confirm it by that point. But from everything that had happened, the doctor went, that's... You know, that's definitely what that sounds like. They call it a chemical pregnancy? Basically, like that early on, yeah, it's like, literally, I think my period was like four days late or something, so it wasn't a massively long time or anything. Yeah. But But, then... But that was hard. Um, So then that kind of prompted, I guess, me going, I think I need to really look into this more from a medical perspective too. Like, obviously, I've kind of been doing all the natural work on my body, but like... You know, I need to actually speak to a specialist about this, so... Find out what's really going on yeah. inside your body. Yeah. So I went and spoke to a private gynecologist. Mm, gynecologist? But also, like... I think she was also, like, an obstetrician. Like, like she was... An OBGYN. Yeah, she kind of did everything. Um, went to this really lovely clinic, and she was great. She was really honest with me about everything and, like, what we needed to do. So, like, the recommendation was obviously for surgery to have a look at the septate, see if we could repair it. Well, they wanted you to do two surgeries, right? Yeah. So it was like a keyhole surgery to, like, look for endometriosis and then the other one to, like, look at the septate uterus and measure it and, like, work out if we could fix it, basically. Yeah. Because that's a thing that you can apparently do. The wonders of the modern world. But she was like, you know, she's like, I think you also probably... That's when she bought up the PCOS thing. Like, I think you probably also have that. But it sounds like you've actually managed to get it under control, which isn't that surprising. Like, there is apparently a lot of good results with a lot of natural things yeah. for PCOS, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I got all the quotes, and I mean, it wasn't as expensive as I thought it might be, but also wasn't the cheapest. And so I had been like, okay, well, yeah, like, I think that that's our next step. Like, I think we should do that. And um, Well, one of the things that she had said was that while she couldn't discount it, it was highly unlikely that you would successfully fall pregnant. She's like, look, no, if you keep going the way you're going, you might unlikely. have more chemical pregnancies. It was highly unlikely that I'd stay pregnant. Right, She's okay. like, you know, you, you probably will get pregnant, but... You might not stay pregnant. You probably won't be able to keep it. And she said, yeah, it's probably likely that even in the past you've had 
like miscarriages that you haven't known about as well and mm-hmm. um yeah so that was pretty full-on but yeah. like we we talked and like decided to like go ahead with the surgery because it was like well yeah like we need to know what we're dealing with here and and I think in the same time we, we'd had another conversation about like especially the fact that I had seemingly gotten pregnant like okay what are we gonna do like are we gonna just like actively stop that from happening again are we gonna just see what happened you know and I think we were both scared of like not wanting to go through that again but at the same time like not knowing what to do yeah it was, yeah. it was complicated. Anyway, so I was, like, planning to have surgery in January. And it was Elle's birthday. And I had been... I had absolutely no symptoms whatsoever of anything. Like, normally I would know my period was coming a few days before. Yeah. But I had no symptoms of that. And my period wasn't there. And it was just weird. And... um. I think, anyway. And then, like, it was Christmas and New Year, so I was like, well, I'm going to be drinking, so, like, I should probably just do a test to be safe. Um, which, it's like, it's not going to, it's nothing, going to be fine. <laughs> so you had gone to work, I got up, and I said it was Elle's birthday, so, like, he was literally turning one, so, like, not on our radar to have a baby right then at all. But anyway, did my test, thought nothing of it, looked at it, and about nearly died, um, because it was positive. And that was, like, the first time that it ever happened to me. And I was like, holy, this, what do I do? Like, <laughs> who do I need to call? What do, like, freaking out. Like, what's the next step? Like, how, like, just, I mean, my first instinct was to call my mum. Because, like, I call my mum for everything. But I was like, well, I can't tell my mum before I tell John. Texted you and, like, gave you a heart attack because you were driving to work. And I was like, well, I need to FaceTime you. So, pull over or something. I and thought I, someone was, like, dying. I mean, I was like, no, I need to video you. And you're like, What? So, yeah. like, I'm pretty sure you videoed me and I'm pretty sure I just, like, held the test up in front of the camera because I was, like, I don't even know what to say. Like, what is this? And you were, like, really happy. So that was nice. You had a good reaction. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad. But, I mean, we'd only been dating for, like, what, six months by that point? Right. Like, we were well, living together. But, like, it was all just very, like, like, this could go bad. Like, I don't know how he's going to react. And, like, I don't even know what's going on here. And, like, oh, my goodness. Anyway, so needless to say, I went and bought about seven more tests. <laughs> like, did them all, you know. They were all positive. Called the doctor. And, of course, it was, like, Christmas. So, you know, managed to get, like, a blood test done that day. But that was a hard time, right? Because we were cautiously excited. It's like, okay, well, we've got a positive test here, but, like, we need blood tests to confirm this. And then we're going to need an ultrasound to check that everything's okay. And, like, what if we miscarry? And so it was this really, like, hard tension of, like... Trying not to be trying too optimistic. Be too optimistic, but also, like, this is really exciting. Um, so we didn't really tell anyone other than, like, I think my parents knew. And then, like, we told... You tell your bestie and I told my bestie, I think was yeah, essentially the... Because we're like, you know, we're going to need some support if things go bad even. Anyway, so first lot of results were a bit scary because the, like, HCG levels weren't as high as they should have been mm-hmm. um, for the dates that I'd, you know, given the doctor. So that was, again, a bit of an anxious wait of like, okay, well, now we've got to, like, do another test and wait another week. And then my first ultrasound was, like, I was really sick. I think I'd been in hospital the night before it, um, which is about when they went, oh, maybe you've got hyperemesis. <laughs> it was around that time, you know, where it was like, I think the first trip they didn't call it that straight away. They just went, oh, it's just typical early pregnancy kind of. Anyway, got the ultrasound, everything looked good on the ultrasound, but the dates were way off. They were like, oh, no, the baby's actually only measuring 
This far ahead. This far ahead rather than this far. Which, I mean, I think he later corrected because he came two weeks early from there. Then I did get diagnosed with hyperemesis. Yeah, look, that was a lot of fun. It was like one of the hardest things I think I've ever been through. And I've been through some serious shit. But like, oh my gosh. Well, it just, it controls everything. Eating, it controlled your drinking, it controlled what smells you could be around, or what smells could be around you. I mean, it controlled my life because I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Like, until I got it under control, how many weeks did I spend in bed? Was it, like... (laughs) Like... 16? Up to 16 weeks, essentially. 18 weeks? Before you finally got it, like... Properly. 18 weeks was when I finally had it like under control yeah where I didn't throw up and I wasn't crazy nauseous as long as I took all my meds but like I reckon up till about 14 or 15 weeks it was still like and we moved house in that time yeah and I couldn't do anything Mm-mm. everyone else just like packed the house and like like it was rough yeah. and that's the thing and it, like that's mentally the toll it takes on you to not even be able to, like... I couldn't just get up and clean the house. Some days it was like, I don't even know if I had the energy to shower. And sometimes showering made me feel sick. <laughs> like, right. you know, it was just so... Ugh, and so not what I wanted. I mean, no one wants it anyway. But I feel like when you've, like... When you're finally pregnant after, like, for so long thinking you'd never have that. And, you and want then it, it's just the absolute worst just, experience. Right. You want it to be magical and you want it to be amazing. And you want it to be all these things. And instead, it's just like, I might die from this. <laughs> You know, like, it just was so awful. Um, And it was hard then because then I hated pregnancy and I felt guilty because I'd wanted it for so long. I think there was a certain point into the pregnancy where you just, like, I can't do this, John. Yeah. And I'm like... surprised me. I'm really sorry, but you kind of have to. (laughs) I mean, statistically, the amount of women that get abortions due to a hyperemesis pregnancy, I get it. And I personally... (laughs) don't agree with abortion and I say that like I don't judge people who do that like that's not who I am it's my personal thing is like oh it's not something I would do but I do understand it Mm. (laughs) because there were honestly days where it was like how do I do this and not just for me like for T and L like I missed so much time with them and like they had to try to understand why I was just all of a sudden sick sick and unavailable to be around them most of the time and like you were carrying so much and everyone else and I just felt so guilty and so like you know which just Um, by the way just let that go oh I know then so then so then we hit like 20 weeks we hit the halfway mark which was a big celebration of like if we get to this point we're gonna be okay yeah like I felt every passing week I felt better about keeping him keeping him I guess Mm -hmm. because like and don't get me wrong, pretty much up to the day I had him, I still would, like, check for blood every time I went to the bathroom. Which is, That's like, fair. a vivid picture, I'm sorry, but, like, I was just always so scared. That's fair. I mean, um, given everything yeah. that happened. Right, exactly. Um, so we had thought that we were having a girl. Right, we did. And everyone else thought that, too. Everyone else thought that. I think it one just, person said, no, boy. It just... For whatever reason, that was our gut instinct, gut feeling. That's what we thought. Um, and we, like, had all these girls' names that we liked and agreed on. And we just, like, could not come up with any boys' names at <laughs> all. We tried. And, like, you were a little bit more well-versed in the whole, like, well, I wanted a girl. But then it was a boy. And so, like, 
adapting to that. You know, you've been there, so you kind of warned me, like, look, it might not be a girl, and, like, it's going to be okay. And, like, you, you pre-prepared me a little bit for, like, if that happened. I don't remember any of this, but I'm glad I did. <laughs> so we go to the 20-week scan, and first of all, we're just so excited to see how much our baby has, like, grown, because, like, that was, like, the 12-week scan and then 20 weeks, I think. So, like, they do yeah, so like two months much in growing in that time. 12 weeks, they're still kind of like a weird little alien. 20 weeks, it's like, oh, it's a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you can kind of see that more. There's human definition. Yeah. Um, anyway, she, like, looks and she's like, okay, um, no doubt about it. It's a boy. <laughs> and you and I just looked at each other and went, oh. <laughs> Which, see, when you listen to this when you're bigger, I'm sorry. <laughs> we just honestly went, oh. And, like, she was so taken aback. She was like. Was that not a good thing? And we were like, no, like it is. So we just genuinely thought we just thought it was a, was a girl, and we already have two boys, and you know this is just a thing. So anyway, so we left the ultrasound. We were in two separate cars because you were going to work, I think. Yeah. And I just like got in my car and I cried for a little bit because you know it's a thing. It's gender disappointment. It's a real thing. Cried for a little bit. And then I texted you and I went, right, this is his name. (laughs) (laughs) And that is now his name. But, like, I don't know, I just decided. Like, I had my moment of being sad and then I went, right, this is my son. This is what we're calling him. These are the mean, no, this is what we're doing. Um, And then I went and bought some cute boy outfits to make myself feel better. And (laughs) that was that. And, like, honestly now, like, I'm glad we have a boy. Like, I would still like a daughter someday. But, like, it just works. Mm-hmm. I think it just fits. And the boys just love having a brother, mm-hmm. you know? And it's... Anyway. So I guess there was just, like, also just one big thing that actually just ended up leading, which we didn't think of at the time, but ended up leading up to the end of your pregnancy. Yeah. Which was the delivery of our, our son. Like Yeah, he's healthy and alive. Yeah. He's sleeping the <laughs> other That sounded room. really, yeah, like, yeah, it's not so dark. dark, but yeah. no, that's not what it meant. Yeah. Um, because you had a car accident yes. coming back from work Yeah. at, like, 6 o'clock at night. Right. On one of the straightest patches of the highway. Yes, but not everyone pays attention to what's happening in front Clearly, of Clearly, and admittedly, these two people were very, very sorry. Or at least... They showed concern. They are. They still are. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that might have yeah, something so to you do with the insurance bill that's hitting them. <laughs> possibly, um, but you ended up being taken to the hospital, and they're like, oh. "I was having some signs of early labour. I was, I mean, I was having contractions that you could very much see and like obviously feel." Yeah. Um. Thankfully, they settled down, and thankfully, the baby was okay. Well, like, we spent most of that night at the hospital, though. We stayed there overnight. Oh, was that the night we stayed overnight? Yeah. Okay. But, like, prior to that point, he had been head down, engaged, like, ready to go. Mm-hmm. It was so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then... He just wasn't. Not that long after that accident, surprise, surprise, he was completely breached again. Yeah. Which means he was feet first, for anyone to know. That's not hip with the baby lingo. Not the right position for a baby to be born in. Um, So that was like, I think, the 34-week scan they picked up on the fact he was breech, which, Mm -hmm. you know, going from, like, fully engaged to, like, the other way was really frustrating. 
And a bit concerning. And a bit concerning. So it's like, okay, well, yeah, like, did the accident, like, jostle him out of position or... Yeah. Anyway, pretty much from that moment, he just never quite got back into the right position. Mm-hmm. It felt like. Mm-hmm. Like, I never had the same feeling again. So... Anyway, so I had the scan around 36 or 37 weeks to check a couple of things. One of the things they were checking was for the fact that C just doesn't have one of his kidneys, which they'd picked up on one of the like way early scans. They're like, oh, we can't see it, but it might still right. kind it of, might it might still grow. It might, yeah. It might like be small. So they just did extra scans on me just to like check for it basically. And to make sure that the one kidney he does have was functioning properly and there weren't any issues. Right. And they'd said to me then, pretty much you're you're good to go. Like, really, at any time now, you could have him. Um, and I'd had a bunch of, like, what do they call it? Like, spurious labor? Yeah, it was just kind of like... I had a bunch of, like, scares where I'd, like, start getting contractions and they'd be really consistent and get more and more intense. And so we'd like go to hospital to get checked and they'd be like, no, like it just, it's just, it's not Braxton Hicks. They were real contractions, but it wasn't early labor. It's like something that happens for some people. And so basically they were always like, you just need to like take painkillers and rest. And that went on and on for weeks. It was horrendous, like back and forth. Cause it's like, okay, I think he's going to come early, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, we got to like kind of that 37-ish week mark and we're like, okay, scan's looking good. He's a good size. If this happens, not a big deal. We're okay. And so I'm pretty sure it was like 37 weeks on the dot. And I had been sick the whole week before. So I was resting a lot, just like watching Netflix, you know. And I'd heard people say like, sometimes it happens before you go into labor. Like you kind of get sick and your body kind of just does this thing. And so I was like, okay, maybe. And I mean, I wanted him to come. Like, I was absolutely just like, get this baby out of me. He's a good size. Like, I'm ready to have him now. So, Mm. like, I wasn't worried about, like, it's a bit early. So I think it was like, you know, the Tuesday, I just wasn't feeling great at all. And throughout the day, started having more and more contractions that were getting more and more intense. And I'd, like called you a couple of times and been like, hey, like, I just, I don't really know what's going on, but this is where I'm at so far. I'll keep you posted. And I think yeah. I called you at, like, maybe, like, half an hour before you were supposed to finish work. And I was like, I just, I need you to come home now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it just, this isn't, this isn't great. We need to go. And, like, I just, so you came home and we waited a little while and we went, yeah, let's go to the hospital and just get checked. Like, see what's going on. So we went to the hospital and I had dilated a little bit, which was exciting. Um, and they were like, oh, yeah, you'll have a baby by morning. Like, they were so confident. There was not a question in their minds of the fact I was in labor. Yeah. Um, they're like, go home, do what you're doing, do some positioning stuff. I'm sure we'll be seeing you before morning. <sighs> God, I wish they were right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my memories honestly are a little bit fuzzy through the rest of this story, so... John will have to correct me if I'm wrong Um, and things I've forgotten. But came home, basically laboured through the night. Things didn't seem to be getting any more intense, I don't think. 
And so we hit the next day and it was maybe around 9am and then I was really like, it was intense and it was just you and I here. But I started like almost passing out in between contractions. So I think we called an ambulance because it was just like, okay, something's not right here. Anyway, so went down, Holton was in the ambulance. They're like, oh my goodness, like, please don't have this baby in the ambulance. You know, like it was that serious and it was that intense. Uh, they get me to the hospital and the monitor was like not picking up the contractions, which fun fact happened right through my entire really, labor. It's a really terrible piece. Even of when I was like seven centimeters dilated, like they weren't picking them up. Yeah, it's really um, terrible. And the hospital staff were like, nah, you're still the same amount of dilated as you were before. So it's just the same like spurious labor or whatever it is. It's just, you just take some painkillers and rest. Prodromal. Prodromal, that's another word for it. Yeah. Um, basically it takes some painkillers, go away. Like, and how dare you call an ambulance? What a waste of time and resources and rah, rah, yeah. rah. Meanwhile, I'm still like contracting and struggling. I've had no sleeve. Like it was a mess. And so we went home and was it that point that we called my sister, who's a doula? Yeah, we And if called... anyone doesn't know, a doula is kind of like a midwife without the medical training. Well, they're like a support person for labouring and pregnant women. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd called her to ask some questions. I had a midwife appointment the next day with my midwife I'd been seeing. I feel like there was probably another hospital trip maybe that night even or something. Um, because again, there was a few. well, again, because like things would pick up, right. And I'd be having what they tell you to look for. I'd be having like four in 10, so like four contractions in 10 minutes. And they were like so intense. And then we'd be like, well, does that mean the baby's coming? Like, do we need to go? So we were back and forth. And every time I went to the hospital, it would slow things down and, um, saw my midwife the next day and she checked me and she's like, yeah, you're like three to four centimeters dilated now. Um, you, I can see you having very real contractions. Like this is, this is happening. Cause I was starting to get to the point of, am I crazy? Mm-hmm. Is this all in my head? And do I just need to like take some painkillers and go to sleep? You know, like it was just so weird to try to like trust my body, but also I've not done this before. And all and these this is other people the, are telling yeah, you. Yeah. This is what they're telling me. And anyway, and so went through another day or two. I don't even know of that. And then went back in and they told me I was only like one to two centimeters dilated again. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, I've already been, my midwife director said I was nearly four. So like, what are you talking, it just was so, and they're like, no, it's just, again, take painkillers and rest. And the particular painkiller they kept recommending is one I'm actually allergic to, but they didn't want to hear that. And they also didn't want to hear that I was in labor. They were like, nope, we've seen this before. This just, you just need to rest, okay? It just this could go on for weeks. Just rest. Don't worry about it. Um, C's heart rate had started to play. Also, up a bit. the idea that that could go on for weeks—it's just not the thing you want to hear. No, not at helpful. all. But during that time, C's heart rate had started to show some funny things at the different times I went in, and again, they just brushed it off as like, "Oh no, that's just normal." And I was like, "No, it's not normal for him." Hmm. He's not that, and I don't think he's coping super well. But, you know, then I was home again, and then I was in the hospital. It was just so messed up. Yeah. So I later found out that the rule is actually if you present more than three times, which I had, they're supposed to admit you. 
Right. And then, like, do some monitoring over a longer period of time and, you know, like, actually intervene. You know, like, they're supposed to... There's a whole list of things they were supposed to do and they didn't. Yeah. Uh, which was really hard for us because I think then we just... We didn't have a lot of faith in actually having him there. No, we didn't feel like we were listened to... No. ...at all. And that was hard in in something that, like, is already a stressful situation to feel like you have your power taken away from you. Um, and for me to go, you know, I know I haven't done this before, but I know my body and I know my baby and, like something's happening and like I just I wasn't yeah. heard yeah and that's the thing like we could speak we didn't have a voice taken from us we could speak but we just weren't being heard yeah exactly no one was listening and so then we basically went let's have him at home yeah we just went screw, screw it. it we're not coming we're back not we're doing not doing this. going through this and then of course the staff anymore. were like well you can't do that and I was like well you're not listening to me so what other choice do I have so we came home and I was pretty resolved to, like, try to have him at home, but I was pretty scared by that point because it was like, I just don't know if this is going to work. Of, like, for so many days he's been trying to come out and it's not working, so then I felt like something was wrong. And Yeah, it had been, like, seven days at this point. Yeah, and we'd been navigating having T&L for a weekend over that. It was yeah. just nuts. Yeah, it was hard. And so we were home we had your sister as the doula and then actually have a midwife friend and she came and checked me a couple times and she picked up that I was having some blood pressure issues and so then she was really like got to a point of advocating for like I think you probably should go to the hospital like you are having real contractions this is a real thing but I think baby needs some help to get here like I think there might be some intervention needed and and so we... And she delivers babies, like, in, in backwater countries. Yeah. Like so, she's, like, she's not... She's not the person that's, like, go to the hospital. But, you know, like, she was she was just as happy to help us have him here. Yeah. And we decided to present back to the same one for, like, one last ditch effort. Because that was the hospital I'd had my whole pregnancy through. So it was like, you guys have my files and... Yeah. You know, you know everything. And... We just went in and saying... Intending to get admitted. Yeah, we basically and stay said, until something happened. Yeah. And I mean, I can't remember... I don't remember all the ins and outs. I know we argued for a social worker at one point and they wouldn't give us one, yeah. which was crappy. Um, but they did admit us and then I got a social worker the next day who was the first person we felt like listened to us. <laughs> um, and she advocated she a lot for us and helped us advocate for ourselves and then things just kind of went from there then we had like the first doctors that came in weren't very helpful but then the next day I hit 38 weeks and so I suddenly you're okay just argued like because their argument for them was we will not we, we won't induce you before 39 weeks in general but especially not at 37 weeks. Um, so I hit 38 weeks and I was like, you know what? Induced me. This isn't going away, but it's also not progressing where it needs to. And I have tried everything. Like, I mean, we were, I was doing all kinds of weird yoga positions, hanging off the couch with your help. I tried <laughs> everything under the sun because it's like I'm in labor, but I'm not in enough labor. And so got them to agree to induce me, but I was quite low on their priority list. Well, the whole process of getting them to induce you involved essentially overriding 
their systems. Right. I had to like make some phone calls to put in some complaints essentially and Well it's called it's called Ryan's rule and if anyone's in ever in this situation you know what that is. make yeah. use of it. Yeah. And they tried to tell me that, you know, they weren't gonna implement it basically. And like, basically that they sent a asking up. for Ryan's rule was inappropriate even. Yeah. And and yet an hour after that happened the doctor went, Okay, we're inducing you now. So, you know, I mean I think it made a difference. Much to the fact that they didn't want it to. Yeah. Um, and then it began, and I don't know how you feel about if you might get emotional, but I know I will. So let's just preface this with there'll be a lot of tears. It already is as I think about the next part of the story. It was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they tried, what, two different induction methods? Right. So they, they... Did, they did the gel for the first one, which wasn't... That was fine for them to, like, do the gels and, like, put it in and all that. And then... But things just went from, like, zero to 200. So I was contracting, like, constantly, which is not what's supposed to happen. Like, it wasn't like then I was in a good pattern of, like... Like, it was just, like, nonstop. You kind of went into overdrive. Overdrive. So much pain. I coped for, like, as long as I possibly could without anything. And then they gave me morphine. Because yeah. I needed something. Yeah. And that did help. That actually helped then get it to a better rhythm and help me not be in pain. But then I still wasn't dilated enough for their standards. Because, you know, hospital protocol is like, well, to break your waters, you have to be this many centimetres dilated. So we need to do this, this and this. So I still wasn't there. And I mean, I was exhausted. I don't know if we've mentioned that, but... For this, what, seven, eight days now? It was eight days. I'd been sleeping very little in between contractions. I'd been in constant pain. Eating when you could, but I'd, not super yeah. often. And, like, back and forth between home and hospital and stress. Like, it, it was awful. It was exhausting. Yeah, it was not right. So they wanted to try a different induction method, which they tried, and it was probably the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my whole entire life. And I, and I think cried because, and screamed at them to get out of me. And I think not because of how, of like the process itself is painful. I think more just because everything was like hypersensitive because you'd had that many had examinations of, yeah. and that many things done to you, and you'd had the gel put on you, which just like yeah. fires everything into motion. Right, and so the process of them trying this like balloon induction method ended up dilating me enough essentially like the process of them trying to put it in and then taking it out oh you're dilated enough okay let's go break your water yeah so then this is where my memory cuts out a lot and what i do remember just makes me really sad <laughs> but yeah they broke my waters and then again that that the contractions were at a good pace after that but so painful well we, what you thought was overdrive yeah. Was like first gear. <laughs> well, no, it was overdrive because it was too many contractions. Once they broke my waters, the contractions were good and regular, but they were just so much more painful than I could have imagined, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I coped for a little while without painkillers. Um, but and by a little while, we mean like... 30 minutes, maybe. I don't know how long it was. It did not take long. We no. got sent... You had your waters broken... They sent me for a walk. Which we went out for a walk. Um, I mean, I don't think the process was to make it very far. It was yeah. more to just be up and about on your feet more than but, anything. Yeah. 
and then we got back to the room, and this is maybe like 20 minutes later. Yeah, I got in the shower, I think. We ended up getting in the shower. You'd wanted to be in the pool right. for the birth. Yeah. But because of the fact that they'd broken your waters, they there were, were like rules about when I could adamantly against and, that. So you're yeah. like, okay, well, I'm just jumping in the shower then, because yeah. that's a thing for me, and that helps me. Yeah. And you were in the shower for, I think, maybe three minutes before you went, <laughs> I need pain medication. <laughs> I need it. Give it to me. I you think... wanted morphine again. Right. And they and wouldn't I said, give me that. Yeah, they wouldn't let you do that. And I'm like, look, you asked me not to give you pain meds. Yeah. We can give you the gas if that's what you really, really, really want. Right. Well, we discussed that that would be like our first go-to of like, if I felt I needed something, yeah. I would try that. Yeah. So we had that hooked up. Brought that into the shower. You latched onto that. <laughs> I definitely latched onto that. And I didn't let it go for a long, long time. Um, I mean, it helped, but, like, I passed out a lot. Yeah. So then that's why, like, my memories are so fuzzy is because I, like, I wasn't conscious for a lot of it. And I would wake up at strange times and feel things and then not know and, like, and then, really, that went on. So that was, like, around midnight, they broke my waters, until about 1 p.m. the next day, when, I guess, I called it, and I said, give me an epidural. And I don't really know what happened in that time <laughs> between that. It was a very long process of, like, yes, you were passing out, but everything about you was still working and still moving and still happening. Right. So, like, you were clearly in pain. Yeah. Even if you weren't necessarily aware of it. Yeah. So, like, you know, contraction would come, you would start experiencing it, and you would latch onto the the gas. Which also just helped me breathe. Right. That and was then the main it would, thing, it just made me breathe. And then you'd get out of the contraction. Yeah. And that's kind of where you would just, like, lapse. Yeah, I'd pass out again. I guess. I but think... you would hold on to the gas, so we had to basically <laughs> pry it out of your teeth, <laughs> because you need to breathe oxygen. Mm-hmm. And if you're just breathing the gas, I think that's not good for you. I know, I think at some point they were trying to... I was having some heart rate issues and they couldn't monitor the baby because, like, I know when I kind of came to, there was a one of those things screwed into the baby's head to monitor him. Which you had actually... I'd consented agreed to, to, but I yeah. just don't remember it. But you I guess it was because they, they couldn't track him and my heart had been on and off. And Anyway, and so, like... I had the epidural. Well, I asked for it. We talked about it. Because, again, you knew not to just let me just, like, I want this, give me this. I didn't let you get an epidural. <laughs> Sounds like okay, For a long time. Because of the fact that you'd been so, don't let me just jump onto this train. Yeah. Make sure that it's, like, what I have Which, to, to do. Which, to be fair, after, like, eight days of labour, I was not jumping onto the train. <laughs> no, I know. Like, don't get me wrong. I know. Anyway, um, I can't remember I what I said that finally sure. convinced you, but you were just, just you were just so exhausted. Right, I think I you just you were just like I can't, I can't do this. I think I said something like I'm not gonna be able to like do this without yeah. it. Like there, there's just no I can't. Yeah. Uh, and I was progressing, but so slowly. I think I think the difference between the first time you asked for it and the second time you asked for it was the first time you were just like. Just do it. Yeah, just yeah. give it to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the second time you were just beaten down. It was like logical and reasonable. 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 Yeah. Anyway, so then the epidural process in and of itself was 
horrendous. I just think so hard, had a hard time getting it in, and my heart was playing up while they were doing that. Well, one of the problems, and this is why you were passing out so often, is you'd ended up getting a second dose of morphine. Right. And that just, like, knocked you out. Right, okay. So that's why you were so in and out half the yeah, time, I think. Okay. I mean, yes, you were exhausted, and that's yeah. why you had that reaction to the morphine, but yeah, the morphine okay. is why yeah. you kept passing in and out of consciousness. Right. Um, but yeah, and that was half the reason why it was so hard to get the... So the epidural was epidural tricky, to work. because you have to, like, also tell them, like, when you're going to contract so they can, like, stop, because you have to yep. stay so stable. You have to sit up. Yeah, you have to be really still. You have and, to curl like, your back in the right manner. Yeah, and, like, and I kept, still. like, passing out, so I wasn't telling them when contractions were coming in yep. enough time, and then I'd, like, and, like, trying to stay still, so, like, again, I had the gas that I was trying to, like keep me breathing and like and I just got to a point where I was like I didn't realize I was praying out loud in my head I was like Jesus help me but apparently that was verbally being said by me I mean that points. was that was earlier that was in the shower oh was that yeah, yeah. okay that well that's that was an earlier point the, the same shower, thing but... was like mentally during the epidural which is like the only thing I could feel the contraction coming so it's like okay breathe through the gas like Jesus help me Jesus help me Jesus help me which, if you've listened to the rest of this podcast, you know that I'm not particularly a massively praying person anymore. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I had to basically hold you up. Right. While yeah. you got the epidural. Because yeah. you, would, you would finish the contraction. Yeah. And, and just you were leaning on me. Slump. and you, you, yeah. yeah. You essentially just slumped forward. You just like... <sighs> yeah. You would just you just didn't have much strength. And so, needless to say, got the epidural in and like... Which took like an hour. It did. It took so long, which is not. And they the even had one of the like, like senior, yeah, guys come in yeah. and watch, and he's like, oh, "Okay, yeah." So anyway, epidurals are good things, kind of. <laughs> well, that was. It worked for a good few hours, and. That was the first time in like eight days that I just relaxed. My body was still contracting, but I could not feel it. Yeah. So it was like, okay, my body's doing the work, but I can lay here and just rest a little bit, which I needed because... Mm -hmm. And then so did you. So like you and your sister both curled up and slept for a few hours then. Because (laughs) that was the first time you guys had had me sleep in ages. I remember being very disoriented when I actually woke up. Because I hadn't intended to go to sleep. I'm just like, I'm just going to lay here. Yeah. And I'm probably sure I'm not going to sleep. But you know. And then I woke up and like, there was people in the room. Well, so in that time I had given the okay to start like an oxytocin drip. Yeah. Because the contractions were good, but just needed to be a little bit stronger again. Because the epidural kind of dulled them a little bit. And so I'd given the okay to start that drip just to keep things moving. And again, baby's heart rate was hit and miss. So we were keeping a close eye on that. And so, yeah, I for a while there, I had a, my midwife just like... She was physically feeling the contractions for a while because the machine wasn't picking them up properly. Yeah. So, like, her and I were just chatting and, like, again, I was just enjoying not being in pain for the first time in a really long time. Um, oh, um, just while I remember. Mm. So, like, you mentioned the EKG. Yeah. So that whole thing, there was some concerns about your heart rate, Bub's heart rate, mm-hmm. your blood pressure, his blood pressure, which is what ended up leading up to, okay, maybe we need to do an epidural. Mm. Like, but we just you, weren't coping super well. 
we decided that we needed to do an EKG just to, like, get a full reading on you. Yeah. But, of course, the process of getting an EKG is essentially hooking, I think, 12 or something wires to your chest and your arms. Yeah. And I think you work up about three times during the whole process, just wondering what the hell was going on. Right. Because you didn't, like, you'd consented to it, but, like, not... Is it really in, in the way that yeah. someone who is fully awake consents <laughs> yeah. to something. Yeah. And then, of course, there was the problem that while they're actually getting the EKG reading, you cannot have gas. Oh, I know. That was the worst. Which was... Oh, my gosh. So hard. I remember biting. <laughs> I was biting onto the the thing. So yeah, you, you were trying to stop us from me. taking it from <laughs> I was you. like, no, it's mine. <laughs> I found the teeth marks in that later. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so you woke up, I'd consented to, like, the oxydrip. Doctor had come in and suggested a C-section. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I don't know if... Because they were like, you're just not progressing fast enough. Like, you're progressing, but, like, you know, your waters broke a long time ago now. And, you know, and... Well, this was a long The senior thing. midwife had come in and she... I'd seen her at various points throughout this whole process and she goes, I've seen your birth plan and I just want to tell you to wait a little bit. Right. She's like, I know you're not going to have the birth you wanted in terms of a water birth, but I know everything you did want and I just... You don't need to rush a C-section right now. This drip has barely been in for two hours. It's not enough time for it to work. And I just, I want to encourage you to wait. And I was torn. Even at that point, I was like, you know, I still want to wait. Like, I want to push him out. But at the same time, I wasn't confident that he was coping very well. And I knew I wasn't coping very well. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like, maybe I should just C-section. But this was also something that happened that was like a running theme with the hospital staff. Because the first midwife that was with us in the delivery room, she broke your waters... And then, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours later, she's like, oh, we should probably do an oxy- oxytocin drip. Yeah. And you were like, okay, but... They rushed the Can process. you really yeah. say that there's been enough time for you to say that nothing has really happened at all? And she's like, oh, not really. So <laughs> we pushed it off and pushed it off and pushed it off. And by the time it came back around, it's like, okay, well, we're actually yeah. moving forward. So we're like, okay, yes, the doctor's saying yeah. it's taking too long. But is it taking too long? Well, right, and that's where... Which is where it was helpful to have that midwife say... Yeah. Just maybe hang on a little bit so longer. So we did, but I think it was only maybe another three hours, if that. And I called it. And I said to you, I can't... Here we go. Here's the emotion. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? Even if I was fully dilated soon, I don't think I can push him out. Because I was just so... Spent. Tight. Mm. And sore. And I also, like, as much as I couldn't feel my lower body, I'd started to feel on one side again. So then I was starting to be in pain again. And mm. it was just, like, not a good time. And I think the last they had checked, I was still only seven centimetres dilated. Which was just not a lot of progression. Like, it was good. It was amazing. But, like, for the amount of time, it was, like... Nah, this isn't this isn't working for me. And I was so concerned at that point with how Bubs was coping that I just I don't know, I just hit a point where I was just done. You know, it was just like we're gonna do this. Mm-hmm. And you 
that you got it. And your sister, who, you know, obviously is all for, like, natural births as much as possible. Even she was kind of like, yeah, sometimes it just is, you know? Yeah. And then it was still a few hours, though, before they had time in surgery. Because, obviously, they have emergencies that come in and everything that happened. So, like, yeah, you know, it wasn't, like, straight away. Um, and then by the time they finally kind of wheeled me down for surgery, they always check how dilated you are before they do it just in case I was still only seven centimeters. Right. So yeah. like I just, I just wasn't progressing anymore basically. Yeah. And so they did the, they topped up the epidural, but I could still feel kind of everything. Yeah. And so then they're like, Oh, we'll do a spinal, which was a weird experience. You weren't in there for that. I don't think. No. Um, that was just difficult. Like, they're like, oh, okay, we, we need you to move this way and that way. I was like, I can't feel my entire lower body. Like, if you need me to move, you have to move me, which mm. is what they did. And they kind of knew that. Mm. Did the spinal. You came in. They started the C-section. And I could feel everything. Um, which... Because, like, to a certain degree, there is always a certain amount yeah, of feels, feeling you're yeah. going to get. Yeah. But it's a matter of, like, the, de- the severity of what you could feel. And, like, right. if you can feel tugging, yeah, that's kind normal. of, that's okay. Yeah. That's not that's not the worst thing. But yeah. if it's sharp, yeah, we need to stop. I could feel them, like, pulling my layers of my body, body. apart, yeah. basically. <laughs> like, it, so, you know, they stopped. And the anesthetist had kind of warned us that, like... They might if that happens, they'd have to put me into general, but I guess I didn't really realise the implications of all of that straight yeah. away. So needless to say, they had to stop the C-section, they had to put me under general anaesthetic, which meant that they kicked you out of the room. Yeah. And put me to sleep. And <laughs> this is where you talk. Because <laughs> I can't. I just remember feeling very, very angry. <laughs> and I later learned they push everyone out except for staff because it can be very traumatic and I'm just like I don't give a damn <laughs> that's that's my wife and kid in there I need to be in there there are things that we want to happen for our kid right like we and if I'm not there like, I can't advocate for him we so had a I was bunch just of like, like the things we wanted it was like even in that situation you know we still wanted like a bit of delayed cord clipping and yeah. At the very least, if he needed anything, we wanted him to be on, like, your skin or my skin. Like, if he could be on me, he needed to be on you. Like, we had things we wanted. Um, yeah. And we just had none of that, I guess. Well, I didn't see him until he was about 20 minutes old, 25 minutes old. Which I think is, like, the hardest part that we've both had to reconcile. And as you can probably hear, like, I still don't know how you do that. Like, we kind of weren't there when he was born. Like, I was there, but I was not conscious. Yeah. And you... I mean, the blessing was... I could hear him cry. Yeah. You were in another room. You at least heard him. Um, There's no pictures because no one... Was there to do that. Well, the staff... And I've had it explained to me since when it's that situation. It's an emergency. So the staff are on high alert. So I get it. I do understand. To an extent, but I'm just like, come on, stop. Like... One of you midwives could have just been like, hey, we should take a picture for this poor girl. But no. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, I was asleep for a couple of hours, I guess. And so they gave you 
gave him to you. Yeah, so they wheeled him out. And the absolute first thing they started talking about is, oh, well... Because we hadn't decided what we're doing in terms of, like, vitamin K. So we weren't really necessarily sure on it. And I just wasn't going to be making that decision without you. Well, I mean, we knew we were going to do it, but we just didn't know if we were going to do, like, a needle or a wall. Like, like, we just... Yeah. We hadn't got that far yet. Right. And I just wasn't going to be making that decision without you. Yeah. So like, oh, well, you know, if he doesn't have this, then this could happen, and that could happen, <laughs> like, and this could happen, I'm just and I'm just like, kid. I don't care, he will be okay, Yeah. I just need to have him, Yeah. and she needs to wake up, Yeah. and be there with him too. Yeah. So anyway, I think I had to sign a form, Yeah. I sat with him for a bit. They took you up to the room. They Yeah, they, they had to like find a room for us. Yeah, and, and your sister had, had gone, she had gone home when she knew I was having a C-section, Right. And she, like, was getting a couple of things, but she got the, like, colostrum that I had managed to express before I had him. It yes. was in the freezer, so she brought that in to you so you could feed him, which was yeah. nice. Yeah, so I, yeah, they brought, took us up to the room. I was just sitting there with him. Um, and then, yeah, my sister showed up and she brought the, the colostrum. We had some of it put in the freezer and then, and then, what was it, two hours later? So while you, you were doing that, <laughs> I had woken up. Right. Recovery. About one forty five, I think I woke up in the morning, by the way. He was born he was born at like twelve twelve twenty something. Twelve twenty something. So I was up about one forty five ish, I think I woke up and never been so frustrated in my life because they couldn't tell me anything because the staff that was in recovery weren't the staff. That had operated. That had operated. So I'm like okay, but where's my baby and what does he look like and how big is he and, like, tell me everything. And they're like, we don't know what we're going to get you to as quickly as we can, you know? Like, it was just so, like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And so, like, I've woken up and I'm confused. And they're like, okay, well, we need to do all these tests and you need to eat something. And they're like, you know what, screw it. We'll do all that in your room. We just want to take you to meet yourself. <laughs> so I'm so thankful for those staff. So I'm, like, being wheeled out of recovery and she's like throwing a sandwich at me on the way like here eat this like you know we'll do all the tests later yeah and here's like, a bottle of lemonade yeah, yeah, here's like, a sandwich just, that you can you know, eat and just... so the i recognized the guy that wheeled me up that he'd been the one that took me into surgery as well i think anyway so i was like being wheeled up to the room i guess and i guess you knew i was coming because you were like okay well i'll just i'll let him cry a little bit or something like and we try to shush him or something right he was crying when i got up there and yeah i don't know um and i don't I think i just wanted you to hear him yeah i don't again i don't have super clear memories of everything because obviously i was coming out of ga yeah there's a lot going on but like like you put him on me and i was just like I don't know like I didn't have that moment that was like it wasn't like some big dramatic like bawling my eyes out oh my god this is my child it was more just like oh he's here it's my baby like it was just normal in a way I guess mm-hmm. um I mean I was definitely amazed like just like more of like oh my gosh this creature like yeah just, just like he's finally here like it was just like those last few weeks of pregnancy he's like you just 